0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Philosophy of Fitness podcast, episode number 90. My name is Haley. I'm going to be your host today and every single day if you are tuning in. And today I am joined with the beautiful Bianca Ward. I have Bianca on here. How long ago was it? It was almost two years ago, right? Yes. Yeah. So a lot has changed since then. She is a certified life coach and she's also a marriage and dating grad student, right? Yeah. Marriage and family therapy. Cool. So bit of a transition from the last time that we spoke. I think you were big into the life coaching back then. I know we also touched on some spiritual spirituality experiences, psychic experiences. So if you want to go ahead and reintroduce yourself, you know, tell everybody about what's kind of led you into this marriage dating side of things.
1: Yes. So I was working primarily and specializing in like spirituality. But the reason why I wanted to transition was because I realized that Most of the clients that I was helping over those, like, three years all wanted help on relationships. I helped them a lot with working through, like, identifying family patterns that shaped their way of relating with other people that were unhealthy and helping them find ways to create healthier connections. And that's really why I decided to make the transition. I absolutely fell in love with what it was that I was doing. And I just wanted to gain as much knowledge that I could. And that's why I entered into my master's program, because I wanted to know, like, how much research actually goes into, like, having healthy relationships. And then I just wanted to like be that person who can share that with other people. One, cause there's a need for it. And two, there are a lot of coaches out there right now who are very helpful, but they don't know a lot about like research and science when it comes to relationships. And they don't realize that that's like an actual thing that you, you need a lot of like clinical skills in.
0: Wow, I think that's amazing that you're transitioning into this, and it is a very hot topic right now. There's a lot of people who are struggling with relationships in particular, and something that you touched on that maybe we can dive into a little bit more is family patterns, because I've noticed in my own research and my own journey that a lot of our attachment style is rooted in you know childhood, so if you want to elaborate on that and give more of that clinical side of things, I think people would love to hear that.
1: Yes, absolutely, I can do that.
0: Do you want to explain, like, a little more of... Um, yes, I don't yeah. know
1: where you want me to start. Like, there's so oh. <laughs> many different things that, like, intersect.
0: Okay. Um, so I would say maybe, like, attachment styles, because that's something I think a lot of people struggle with, and even in my own, you know, experience of learning and unlearning. Anxious attachment, I'm somebody that was definitely anxious attachment style, and I still sort of struggle with that. So do you want to explain a little bit about how childhood can affect that with people?
1: Yes, absolutely. So for anyone who's listening who doesn't know, your attachment style is the specific bond that is usually established within the first year of life that you have with your caregiver or with your parents, whoever's spending the most time with you. And it's your way of relating with other people. So like Haley was just talking about having an anxious attachment, as it sounds in the title, you have an anxious way of making sense of and seeing the world. So there are different kinds of attachment styles. The one you should strive to have is to have a secure attachment. Someone who has a secure attachment is either someone who has worked to have a secure attachment over an extended period of time and has worked through very specific interventions to get to that point, or it's someone who was raised with parents or a primary caregiver who responded to like their cries, their needs for affection and attention. They were um, someone who was very reliable with the way that they responded to that person. And so over time, that child developed a healthy sense of like seeing the world and they feel more comfortable, more trusting in relationships. And when they encounter certain relationship issues, they have more of like a positive way of viewing that. So someone who has a secure attachment, for example, is able to say like, this person hurt me or this breakup happened, this is upsetting to me, but I trust myself and other people in the world enough to continue to date, to finally find someone at some point in the future, if that's something that I want to have. And you have uh, like confidence that that's something that can happen.
0: I think that's a huge distinction to make in terms of carrying it on to to future relationships and future partners, because I think if you're either anxious or anybody who's listening to this, there's anxious and avoidant and secure, as you mentioned, if you either fall into the anxious or the avoidant category, whatever sort of trauma, because I think at the end of the day, it is trauma that you carry with that will deter you from allowing yourself to be vulnerable in a, in a future relationship. With anxious people, we push people away. And with avoidant people, they don't even allow themselves to open up. So it's it's kind of like finding that sweet spot. And as you said, too, not everyone is secure out of the womb. I think that's super rare yeah. to find. I think a lot of people have, have had to work really hard uh, to get themselves to that point.
1: Yes, they have. And it takes a lot of like hard work. I'm not even going to like sugarcoat that at all but it is something that is possible. And the reason why I'm emphasizing that right now is because I've worked with so many people who have insecure attachment styles that feel like they're gonna be this way forever. They start thinking that they'll never have a relationship that feels good to them, or, that they, or they start to think that like they're the problem. The problem is not you, the problem is how you're making sense of the relationships that you have and the types of partners
0: that you're choosing. Wow. I think that's really powerful. That's a great way to take yourself out of the victim mentality is and I think a lot of people especially with dating nowadays view themselves as the problem and we can kind of get into, you know, dating apps and the whole <laughs> crazy landscape of dating apps nowadays, but I've spoken to so many people and Time and time again, I hear, what's wrong with me? Even friends that I've had that have been in relationships and even myself, I've been in the position of saying, well, what's wrong with me that this person left me or what's wrong with me that I'm not finding somebody. If you flip around that internal script and say, it's not me, it's how I'm responding. That's a huge mental shift to make that takes you out of that victimhood.
1: Yeah, it it is a big one and it's, it's a process. So like you might have to remind yourself continually Something that has helped me because I didn't start out having a secure attachment style. That's something that I developed. Like, I didn't even know about attachment styles until like my freshman year of college. And that's really when I started working with professionals on developing a more secure attachment style. So, there's always going to be like a grace period that you have when it comes to learning new things because you can't know what you don't know. And sometimes all you really know is that your relationships haven't been working out for you or that they don't feel good, or you realize that like you're stuck in periods where you have a lot of conflict with people and you're trying to figure out like what the issue is. So I would recommend if that's the space that you're in right now, really try to take some time to learn a little bit more about attachment styles. I recommend looking at specific research online about attachment styles because there are a lot of coaches who are talking about this topic, which is really helpful, but sometimes they kind of insert like their personal opinion of what they think it is, not necessarily like what clinical research has found that it is from studying people over time. Cause there's, this has been like an important thing since like the 1920s or something like that. So there is a lot of research on it.
0: And it's interesting because I feel like people haven't spoken about it to the extent that they do for, I think it really took off probably with the, you know, start of social media of TikTok. And I've seen tons of dating coaches. I've had other dating coaches on here too. And you know, the attachment style conversation usually comes up, but that's an interesting observation to make in terms of people kind of spinning their own narrative on it. I think in the, you know, clickbait culture, a lot of us want to just get the views. We want to get the engagement. So as with any topic, do your own research. If you're really serious about learning these attachment styles and learning your own attachment style, at the end of the day, a TikTok guru isn't going to have the answer for you if you're not doing the research alongside of it, A, and B, the shadow work and the the inner work that's necessary to understand truly where you're coming from.
1: Exactly. And something else I want to throw out here too is the concept of differentiation of self just because it is so linked to attachment styles. So if you've never heard of differentiation of self, which a lot of people haven't, unless they like really work in the marriage and family therapy field, it's really two things. First, it is your ability to regulate your emotions in high periods of conflict. And it's also your ability to remain a distinctly unique Person while still being able to relate with other people on a deep level okay, and so like there's like a huge link there between your attachment style, so like if you are somebody who has a lower level of differentiation, you usually will have an insecure attachment style
0: oh okay, I've never heard of this concept before, so i'm I'm learning this too, everyone <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah there's there's like so much to it but that's the easiest way that like i can explain this concept and so your family of origin has a huge influence on your level of differentiation from a clinical standpoint the way that like mfts are trained to look at this is that partners romantic partners end up choosing other people who are at a similar level of differentiation and that's why it's so important to be aware of concepts like this and to do your inner work and like all your shadow work that you need to do because you might not be aware that literally the source of why certain things are not working out for you in your dating journey is because you're you're choosing someone who's kinda at like a similar level as you, who maybe hasn't like evolved to a certain point to understand what healthy dynamics even look like in a relationship. Because if you haven't had that modeled for you, like everything's kind of based on how you would idealize a relationship, not what it actually looks like.
0: Yeah. It's kind of like that phrase. And I say this all the time, the pattern will keep repeating until the lesson is learned. Right. It's like, and I've even noticed in my own life, people that I've dated, I'm like, here we go again. This is, you know, bringing out my anxious attachment side and something else that I've heard thrown around by some, you know, gurus and kind of coaches in the space. And you can tell me if this is true or not that we tend to go for people that are like our parents. Is that something that you've seen in your experience?
1: Yes, yes. Yeah. And also, especially for people who have grown up in either like families that had dysfunctional dynamics or you've had a series of relationships of, unhealth- of unhealthy or dysfunctional dynamics, you tend to end up with, All these other like patterns that you've learned from these people and like you don't realize that you're holding on to them. And even though those patterns have kept you in moments of chaos and conflict and they don't feel good to you on some psychological level, it still feels familiar and comfortable to you. And so people have a tendency to choose things that are familiar than things that are uncertain because they 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 don't know like what the outcome is going to be. It doesn't feel as safe. So it's possible that like you feel safe in a dysfunctional relationship, even though you have the conscious awareness that it's unhealthy or it's not good for you. And that's why you continue to choose it.
0: Yeah. That's a huge realization. And I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Joe Dispenza. Yes. Yeah. So he talks a lot about, and this made me think of it, that we literally get addicted to stress in our brains and if you're somebody who's been in a stressed out state for all of your life that's all you know so your body is gonna do everything it can to keep you in that familiar comfort zone even though your conscious mind knows it's a stressful situation this is not good for me but because that's your zone of familiarity that's what you're used to and your body's gonna perpetuate that so it kind of sounds like that's a similar thing in terms of relationship styles if all you've known is a chaotic or a dysfunctional relationship pattern even if your conscious mind realizes it's not good for you your subconscious mind which is such a strong you know predictor of our experience is going to perpetuate that for you
1: yeah it absolutely will and that's why this concept of differentiation of self is like so important because your ability to regulate your emotions your ability to sit when you feel very uncomfortable, when you feel anxious and find ways how to calm yourself down so that you can make rational decisions is going to be critical in your dating journey and when you're in committed romantic relationships with other people.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So that being said, if someone's listening to this and if they're maybe on the anxious side of things or the avoidant side, what advice would you give to somebody who's just starting this out? Because it's obviously... No easy task to rewire your subconscious mind.
1: No, it's not easy at all. But I can recommend like a couple of things. The first is the easiest way that I've found other people have been able to do this. If you have a history of being in romantic relationships, I would say reflect on the past relationships you've had. It helps sometimes to write down in journal why you think that that relationship didn't work out. I recommend when you're doing this, try not to go into like a state of blaming, like saying to yourself, the relationship didn't work out because I was dating like this asshole. Sorry for (laughs) kissing. Yes, that it doesn't work because I'm dating like this person who's a jerk and they don't have the emotional capacity to relate with me. Although those things may be true to an extent, you should try to take it a step further and really look at what kind of dynamic did we set up together? Because in a relationship, whether this is family, friends, coworkers, whatever, any kind of relationship, that person is always going to influence you and you are always continually influencing that other person. So you really should start to look at like what kind of dynamic did we set up together and one way that you can kind of figure that out is to reflect and question like what did this relationship look like how did we communicate with each other how did we bring up topics that were bothering us if we brought it up at all if we avoided those topics why did i avoid those things What feelings can I name and identify that I was experiencing? What kind of like relationship did we have when it comes to intimacy? Were we intimate with each other? Were we not? Why? So like really always trying to take your your response to the next step and really get clear on the type of dynamic and, and try to explain that as best you can. And once you get to that point where you have that kind of information, I say kind of like step away from it for however long you need, whether that's like an hour or two, because really looking at this and taking personal responsibility can be really difficult because you might find out information that maybe you didn't know before. You might start to feel guilty or upset looking at past things. So give yourself a little bit of a break if you need to, and then when you come back to it, I recommend that you review everything that you wrote down and try to think back to, well, where do these actions or these tendencies come from? Like, how how have I shown up in a similar way in my family? And just looking at that, whether it is, like, your relationship with your parents or maybe how how you avoided conflict with your sibling. Do your other siblings avoid conflict? Really looking at what were the dynamics and tendencies within your family of origin because that has such a huge influence on things that you do and either don't do now as well. Like, for example, even if, say if something that you journaled was that you tend to avoid bringing up uh issues that are like really scary for you to talk about, but in your family, you always talked about those issues. Maybe the reason why you're avoiding it now is because when you think back, when your family brought up these issues, you associated that with feeling anxious, with feeling unsafe, because it always led to arguments. So really trying to like unpack that is very helpful.
0: Yeah. And that's shadow work. In and of itself, right? It's it's an uncomfortable process, and I think a lot of people kind of get the world of self-development a little bit skewed because a lot of people online are like sunshine, rainbows, positivity, good vibes but a lot of this healing that we have to do involves facing yourself in a way that you probably never have before. And like you said, there can be a lot of uncomfortable feelings that come up when you start to ask yourselves those questions that you maybe have never thought about before. Like when I started exploring my attachment style, I was feeling the same thing that you're saying, guilt, resentment, a little bit of anger. And you kind of have to give yourself space to work through that and to kind of come to terms with it so that you can then make the space for the healing to occur. And I think that's just a really important thing for people to realize, like don't beat yourself up because everyone has their issues, right? We all have certain areas of our lives that we're trying to improve. And the only way you're going to be able to improve is if you face that stuff head on.
1: Yes, absolutely. And just try to extend grace to yourself, because like I said like you can't know what you don't know but now you have the information now so you can choose to make better decisions and a lot of these things it's like from a from a clinical perspective over time we're seeing that because partners choose people at similar levels of differentiation when they end up having kids and throughout generations their level of differentiation worsens oh it doesn't improve over time so that's why it's so important for like you to do the shadow work because it goes back to what we've been saying like when you feel uncomfortable with things you might not want to continue learning more about yourself like who wants to feel bad nobody (laughs) wants that (laughs) so it's really important just to like remember to give yourself grace because you deserve that. And it's also going to help you with your self-esteem and your levels of confidence. And that's always going to help you choose partners who are more compatible with you and what you envision for the relationship.
0: Yeah, I love that. The idea of giving yourself grace. I think that's huge. And I'll share something that I struggled with because I know some people listening might benefit from this. I sort of came from a people-pleasing mentality where I was very afraid to speak up for my needs and to set boundaries. And it was always that really uncomfortable anxious feeling would come up when I would want to, you know, establish what I the dreaded what are we talk, right? That everybody has. That would give me such a pit in my stomach of anxiety. Or even just setting boundaries with work situations, with family members, and I noticed that pattern in every area of my life where people were just kind of taking advantage of me. And it wasn't until i went through this process of unpacking it and feeling those negative feelings but then giving myself grace to move through them that i can say now i'm in a place where i'm so much more comfortable setting boundaries i'm not afraid to go into you know a dating situation and tell someone up front what i'm looking for that was something i was always terrified to do was to even say that I was looking for a relationship because I was afraid I was going to lose somebody or push them away, you know, if I said that. And I think a lot of people in modern dating can kind of relate to that and even people I've spoken to of just how kind of crazy dating culture has become nowadays in terms of what people are looking for, you know, people that are emotionally unavailable. I think that's a really huge problem now. So can you shed any light on modern dating culture in that experience?
1: Oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> there are so many things that like we're seeing in the field right now. One major thing that I would recommend that you do, instead of focusing on like what character traits you want in your ideal partner, look at what kind of relationship dynamic do you want to build with them?
0: Ooh, I like that.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. a it's a better area of focus because People have a tendency sometimes to think that, like, oh, this person has to have these personality traits, and if they don't, then we won't have this kind of connection. And so you tend to kind of, like, overlook certain traits that literally could change, or the way that you think about that trait has a different meaning for that person. So, like, the way that they're showing up with that trait is distinctly different from what you thought. So to just... Get yourself wow. out of a lot of, like,
0: stress yeah. <laughs>
1: and unnecessary drama. Look at what kind of dynamic you you want to build. Like, what kind of communication do you want with this person? Like, do you want someone who will talk about, like, conflict? Will, yeah, will, like, talk about issues the minute that, like, you both notice them Or does it feel safer for you to, like, be in a partnership with someone who will give you both, like, time to sit and reflect once you notice something and come back to it in, like, a week? Like, it sounds so simple, but knowing these things are very helpful when you finally get into a relationship because people also have a tendency to try to avoid conflict. Because they think that it's bad. But in a healthy relationship, you will have conflict. And actually, if you're in a relationship and there is no conflict and you've been together for an extended amount of time, that is, that is a dysfunctional relationship. So yeah. just learning more about conflict resolution skills can also help with modern dating right now. And you're always going to learn things as you continue to grow and build with this person. And you're going to learn more things about yourself. And so if you recognize certain things are not helpful or you want to respond in a different way, do that and bring it up to your partner and see how you can both work and build on that together as a team. Because that's going to end up giving you like the results that you want.
0: Yeah, I like that switch of... It almost sounds like when you're, you know, if you're manifesting a list, right? Of like an ideal partner for yourself, focusing on how they'll make you feel rather than those traits that you said, right? Because it can sort of get lost in translation. I think that's a huge distinction to make, especially with conflict resolution, because I think on top of people being emotionally unavailable, which we're seeing, especially with dating app culture now, I think that's a whole other, you know, topic we can get into a little bit. Um, But it's just, you know emotional unavailability is a part of it. And also the the fear of conflict. I think that's a big thing that, like you said, I've been saying this for years too. If you're in a relationship with someone and you've never had a disagreement, to me, that shows that somebody is being a people pleaser and they're not actually speaking up for themselves or speaking up for what they want. And I would argue that's almost as dysfunctional as people who are regularly experiencing conflict. Mm
1: -hmm. From a clinical perspective, it is just as destructive and damaging because that Also shows that like either one or both of you do not feel safe and comfortable enough in the relationship to talk about things that are important to you you're totally different people even if you're like even if you seem very similar on the surface they're gonna be like differences in like how you were raised or like how many siblings you have so like if you're not having these conversations then that shows that there's something here that you're both kind of like avoiding. And then that leads to the big question of why are you avoiding this thing? Yeah. What is the dynamic that like, how is your dynamic set up so that this is able to continue?
0: Yeah. I, in my experience and even people I know, it's usually one person is in charge, right? The alpha person. And then the other person kind of just takes a backseat because they're too afraid to speak up for themselves.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that a lot as well, and there are ways that, like, that can work if you both are, like, having a partnership and you engage in healthy dialogue with one another, and something else that I've also seen as well, too, just fun fact, Mm -hmm. depending on, like, I don't know if you've heard about this, but, like, depending on your position in your family of origin when it comes to you and, like, your siblings, you also kind of have, like, certain little tendencies that come up when you choose partners so like in terms of conflict someone for example like a man who was raised with three sisters is now in a romantic relationship with a younger sibling who is from a family with like three different males those two are gonna be a little bit better positioned to maintain a romantic relationship because you both have like different traits that are inherently compatible. So like if the woman is the youngest sibling and the guy is the oldest in his family, he most likely likes to be in charge as the oldest sibling. He had certain expectations in his family of origin that are going to be more compatible with being the youngest and kind of want to go your own way, like you want more attention. You want to be a little bit more loved and cared for generally than your older siblings are. So that works well because the man is able to be in his position that has been comfortable for him for years of his life and his family of origin. And that woman can be in the position that was comfortable for her and she can continue to maintain that role that she's had in her family of origin. So I'm just like throwing that out there, not so that like any of you can get stuck and start thinking Mm -hmm. to yourselves like, "Uh, I don't know if I can continue dating this person just because we're in like a different sibling position. But that's why it's so important to get to know your partner and really like just explore with them. It doesn't even have to be something that's like so serious and scary because like when you're working on these things sometimes these topics are like scary and uncomfortable but like you can make it a fun conversation like just get to know your partner and and see like what were their expectations growing up in their family what things did they enjoy doing with their family because that'll show you more things about what kind of role they've been comfortable in as well and you can see if that fits well with your role
0: that's fascinating i never have heard that sibling thing before and i'm thinking for myself because i have an older brother so does that mean that i would be better suited with someone who's been like the older brother in their family and for him he would be better suited with someone who's been a younger sister is that what you're getting at
1: yes from a clinical standpoint yes but there are exceptions to this to make it like (laughs) just as simple as possible the exceptions pretty much exist if like, say if an older sibling, for example, doesn't show up in like typical traits that we would see in an older sibling, it's usually because the parent had to focus on like the other children more, or they over-focused on that older child. So now they're showing traits of like the youngest sibling.
0: Oh, okay. Interesting.
1: You see? So like, yeah. th- that's why I'm saying like, you're always influencing them. And they're always influencing you. So like sometimes when we think about relationships, we pay attention to like how that person has affected us. But you have a have a way of like affecting them and how they're going to continue to respond to you as well. Yeah. So just with like the example that I gave with like the oldest male, youngest female. Mm -hmm. Another reason why that kind of dynamic tends to be like the most optimal is also because they have less moments of conflict that ends up being, like, very unhealthy.
0: Oh, okay.
1: And, and because, too, so, like, I don't know if you know this, but one of the highest cited reasons for divorce in this country is just, like, an imbalance in division of, like, labor within the household. Oh, Yeah. So like if you have one person that's like basically doing like all the, the laundry, the housework, all that kind of stuff, and they don't feel like they're getting support from someone else, that's a high predictor for divorce. And the reason why that kind of like dynamic between those two people works a little bit better with like the oldest and the youngest sibling is because in that example, both of those people had the experience of living with siblings and had to get along with them that were of the opposite gender. So this is specifically for people who are, like, straight.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Also. So here's a question then. What about uh, people that are an only child? Because I've heard some people say that, you know, dating is uh, harder for people mm-hmm. that are only children or they show up, you know, a little more damaged.
1: <laughs> uh, uh-huh. So
0: what has your experience been with that?
1: There is some truth to that. So as an only child, like... They tend to sometimes like demonstrate qualities of like the youngest child, but they've never had to like have siblings or share their parents' attention or affection. So like they want that in a different way and they expect that kind of dynamic when they get into romantic relationships with people because they don't know anything different. Like it's a completely different way of being for them. And so like you, you also need to extend grace to your partner, regardless of whether they're like an only child or whatever sibling position they've had, or even if they're outside of it, like they're part of the exception because of like how their family was built, you should really have grace with them and and get to know that person. And that's going to also help you get to know yourself. Like, are you somebody who likes to be in charge? Are you the person who likes to bring up all the important topics and like, Look at everything and and say, like, we need to have date night every Friday night (laughs) at this time. Like, really look at that.
0: Yeah, it all goes back to childhood, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's always your family of origin has such a huge influence on you. And if you're listening to this and maybe like you're someone who grew up in foster care or maybe you didn't have like a stable parenting, um, like stable parenting figures. Just know that, like, this stuff does still influence and affect you, even if they were absent. And you can still work on these things. It's not like you're at more of a disadvantage than anyone else when you're working on these things.
0: I think that's a good distinction to make because regardless of whether you've had, like you said, good parents, bad parents, whatever the case may be, as long as you're open to... Exploring your childhood, whatever that looked like for you, and kind of unpacking it, I think it's huge. And I think inner child healing in itself can be applied to any area of your life. You know, a lot of people their money issues are related to their childhood experience, uh, relationship issues, any kind of psychological, you know, limiting beliefs. I think too, are are so rooted in how we show up in childhood. And I don't know if this is something that you've noticed, but at least for me. I think our generation is doing a fantastic job of being more open and vulnerable about these discussions, because I think back to like the 1950s, you know, keeping up appearances era where everything was swept under the rug. Nobody talked about these issues. If you had any sort of mental struggle going on, you weren't allowed to talk about it. It was frowned upon for people to go to therapy. It was frowned upon for people to seek help. And that's something that I've seen even in my own, you know, family ancestry. So I think it's awesome that our generation is, I think we're the most open about these issues now than we ever have been before, even in the past five years. I'm like, I've seen, I've learned more about attachment styles in the past five years than I would have learned in my entire life.
1: I completely agree with that. Like this generation is so open to learning things and actually having conversations about their mental health. Like in the past, it was so different. People were just like, oh, you're feeling this way. Oh, well, get over it. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, it's also really interesting, too, though, because we also know that, like, there are higher rates of suicide in this generation, too. So I've always kind of found that really interesting when I reflect on it. And I'm really looking forward to seeing, like, what the research says about what is the link between those yeah. two things. Like, why is that?
0: Could be just the the world, the way it is now. I mean, I'm no doctor I'm no scientist but that is really interesting because it's almost like I don't know if ironic is the word but you think that the more open people are about talking about these kinds of things they'd feel more supported and they'd feel more comfortable but yeah that's really interesting I don't know what the correlation is there
1: yeah I if there is even like a correlation too, like maybe it's just a nature of the fact that there's more people in the world now than what there used to be in the past too like maybe it's just a numbers thing
0: it could be It could be, it could be be the pandemic. It could be, you know, social media people have talked about how that's affected, you know, mental health. It could be just like a perfect storm of all the above, you know?
1: Yeah. There are a lot more mental health diagnoses, but then again, that also might be because might be because people are more open to actually seeing a therapist and then being diagnosed
0: (laughs) too. So like, yeah. Yeah. So, So speaking of that, like what has been the biggest issue or common issue that you've seen with people that you've worked with
1: the biggest issue is definitely communication oh my goodness it (laughs) always goes back to how you communicate and I think that why people get stuck sometimes is because they think communication is all about how you're saying things to people they kind of neglect the fact that we are animals We are very social creatures as humans. And so we're always paying attention to someone's body language, their tone of voice, any like nuances to their pitch so that we can understand more about the social relationship that we're establishing with that person. And sometimes we don't even like think about these things. It might not even be conscious to you because we're animals. It's something that helps us survive over time. And so that's definitely a main issue that I'm seeing Uh, In this area specifically, with what we've been talking about, like differentiation of self, having an insecure attachment style, whether you're anxious or avoidant, it's the way that you're saying things, and it's also your lack of, like, consistency.
0: Oh, okay. What do you mean by that?
1: And so, like, for example, with a lot of people who have, like, low levels of differentiation and insecure attachment styles, like sometimes the way that they express things that are important to them is different than how they like show up. So I'll give you a very clear example. Someone who has a low level of differentiation and an anxious attachment style, when they are interested in a partner, they if their partner asks them like what values are important to them, they'll say, Being an authentic person, being in a partnership with someone who's honest with me and I can be honest with them, yet and still because their way of relating to that person is based anxiously, they might try to do things that are inauthentic to change themselves to try to keep this partner. Because that's really what the insecure attachment styles all go back to. It's like you're either anxious so you're doing certain things and overcompensating because you want to keep this person because thinking of like being without them or you being by yourself makes you really uncomfortable or it's that you're avoiding certain things because you're like wow I want this love and this connection but it feels scary to me to actually experience it and so like I've seen a lot of women do this where they'll say like oh authenticity is like so important and it probably really is important to them, but like they're changing the way that they look to fit what they think that their partner likes. Yeah. Literally, even if it's something that makes you feel uncomfortable.
0: Well, that's interesting that you say that because I used to do that, you know, not speaking up for myself, saying, I don't, I don't want to scare this person away. Let me just pretend I'm okay with, you know, not putting a label on it. And compromising on my own authenticity, even though that's something that I value. And I think that goes back to even like setting boundaries. And I don't know what your experience has been working with people who are having insecure attachment styles. Um, do you find that setting boundaries is an issue for people in relationships?
1: Absolutely. And most of my clients have insecure attachment styles. Yeah. Yeah. But boundaries goes along with all of this stuff too, right? Like if you feel secure in your relationship and you have a secure attachment style, then that means that you trust other people. You more than likely trust your partner if they haven't broken the trust at some point in the past. And so you're more likely to like feel more safe in the relationship to actually be who you are as a person and not feel like you have to change those things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a hard place to come to, to boundaries.
0: Yes. Yeah, it's a
1: very hard place. Yes. Especially if like you didn't start out this way. And that's why I, I keep I know I keep like repeating this over and over again about having grace with yourself. But it really is so important because one way you can look at this is like if you grew up in a family that was kind of dysfunctional or toxic in many ways, like you have spent literally pretty much your entire life relating one way and you're expecting yourself to change that overnight, like it doesn't happen. Or you expect yourself to be like completely perfect a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. Like how does 10 years compare to like 20? Yeah. It's, it's, (laughs) it's not, it's not really fair to, you know, put that weight on yourself and there are going to be things that like, You notice and you work on and you're doing well with and then you feel like maybe you're going backwards a little bit because maybe you responded to someone in a certain way that you wish you had not or like maybe you realize, oh, I can't believe I let this person overstep this boundary. Like you're going to have moments like that. So just expect it. It's going to happen. But you just have to keep showing up and trying your best and doing what you can. And at some point yeah. it'll be your dominant way of relating and being with other people.
0: Yeah. The key is to not beat yourself up. You know, it's, it's a unlearning journey as much as it is a learning journey because you're unlearning your entire childhood's worth of attachment style that you've absorbed. So give yourself grace through that period. And I'm kind of switching gears here a little bit cause I'm just thinking out loud, but some advice that I've heard people give, and this usually comes from people that are in relationships, right? They're like, Oh, well, you just have to work on yourself and you just have to be completely happy and whole on your own and then you'll find a relationship. And I think that's really damaging advice to give to people because you could, you could be waiting your entire, none of us I think are ever fully healed or fully, you know, complete. We're meant to be with someone, right? We're animals, like you said, at the end of the day, we're meant to find companionship. So what has your experience been with like, have you heard anybody give that advice? What are your thoughts on that?
1: Oh my gosh, I have, and I understand where it comes from. I get what they mean. Like, it comes from such a good place, but it can be very damaging advice. Like, for someone who is very anxious specifically, like, you may never feel like you're going to be whole or complete. Like, you're going to be single your whole life. So why are you going to, you know, pretty much just, like, sabotage yourself and, and ask yourself out of having these really amazing relationships that could help you learn more about yourself. Because the thing about like differentiation of self specifically and even like your attachment style, you can only change those things in relation to your relationships with other people. You, you cannot change them on your own.
0: Yeah. Well, that's another so, key part of it is you learn so much about yourself by being with someone else you can't learn all of the lessons you can't if you're doing all of this inner work right and you're unpacking your attachment style you could think that you have all the puzzle pieces together but then when you're actually dating someone You're putting it to the test and that's when you can really start to learn about yourself and say oh i'm not as evolved as i thought i was or oh this area i still feel like i could use a little bit more you know self-reflection in and i don't know it just bothers me when i see people say that because i think that it's it also puts someone in that victim mentality of what we were talking about earlier of like not giving yourself grace if you're out there hearing that advice and you think, "Oh, well, I can't even potentially put myself out there because I'm not healed enough, I'm not worthy enough yet because I haven't done enough of the shadow work, I haven't done enough of the reflecting." Like, no, give yourself grace. If you're if you're at least self-aware, that's like a huge first step that a lot of people don't even have. If you just have a sliver of self-awareness and, you know, give yourself grace as as you're going through a relationship and and I think you learn so much about yourself. Every, every person that you date, every experience that you have is, is a learning experience.
1: Yeah. And I want to say as well too, like that advice is like contradictory. Like the one we were talking about, about like, oh waiting till you feel complete or whatever, because it's like, you can believe like truly believe in your mind that you're complete without another person but the way that you express that belief might still be dysfunctional. And if someone looks at how you're expressing that belief, they wouldn't know that that's what you believe because that's not what you're showing. So like, how does, how does that work?
0: <laughs> yeah. So it's like your, your actions aren't matching your thoughts and your words.
1: It's exactly. Inconsistency. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's I don't very know. Damaging. Yeah. I agree. I think it's, it's a uh, really damaging advice and, that's another reason why I think if anyone out there is looking for dating advice or marriage advice, whatever the case may be, use your discernment in terms of who you're getting your advice from. I think it's easy for a lot of people if they just have a big following, you know. And this goes for any industry that you associate a large following with expert knowledge, um, but that's not necessarily the case, you know. Make sure that who you're getting your information from is is a source that you can trust and and use your discernment with that as well. And I think it applies to any industry. I mean, there's fitness influencers who've been debunked for being on steroids, having plastic surgery, and they have these huge followings. So, you know, just use your discernment when you're, when you're finding advice and and seeking someone out, I think it's important too.
1: And when you're using that discernment, one way to start weaving people out (laughs) to see who's being honest and where they're getting the information from, literally just engage in dialogue with them. Like ask them a question, ask them like, oh, like, this This is something that, like, maybe I'm struggling with or something that I'm really passionate about, too. Like, where have you heard this? Where have you gotten this from? You know, like, someone who has gotten this from an actual place, they might not send you, like, a study or or give you a name of someone, but, like, they'll be able to give you more information about it because they care about the fact that you want to know more.
0: Yeah. They'll have something to back it up rather than be like, oh, I don't know, you know, I just kind of thought about it like that's true they'll have something to back it up or they'll have something more to offer you and I think also if someone is in that position like if they genuinely want to help people they should be very much willing to answer those questions
1: exactly and that's how you can like start seeing like who is in this for the following or who's in it to actually be like a supportive person
0: yeah and I think nowadays with social media it's It's interesting because it can be hard to tell, you know, who's in it for the right reasons. It's again, using your discernment, do a gut check too. I think, I think intuition is such a powerful ability that we have and we can touch on this too, but I think a lot of people sometimes get anxiety and intuition mistaken for each other and rightfully so, you know, you have that feeling in your stomach that, oh my God. And I'll say every time I've ignored my intuition later on, I'm like, I wish, you know, that I listened to it. Uh, especially with relationships, I think as women too, we have such a powerful, intuitive ability to sense when something is wrong. And I'll offer this up at hoping that this helps somebody. Cause this is just a little bit of my experience. Anytime that my intuition was telling me something was wrong, I ignored it because I was afraid to speak up for myself. And I, again, the anxious attachment, I was afraid to push that other person away. So I think intuition plays a big part in communication too.
1: It does. And your intuition is going to lead you to like decide if you want to continue this. Is this something that is serving you positively or if it's something that like maybe you should just let this go? Because it's it's to your detriment. Yeah. Yeah, Intuition is so incredibly important, not even just with your relationships, but like with everything in your life. Because like I talked about that, I think in the like last podcast episode that we did like two years ago, like Mm -hmm. I found out that I had an autoimmune disease when everyone was telling me, you do not have this disease. And then I got very sick and ended up finding out, Oh, I do have it.
0: Oops. Yeah. So, wow.
1: Yeah. You just, you know, and so I recommend something that you can always do. If you are like, caught in indecision which happens with a lot of people who are anxious and I used to get caught in this sometimes I still do and have to like literally reset my my nervous system and I like to meditate I like to take a couple of deep breaths and just think about what the possible decisions are that I could make And sometimes that really helps me, you know, I've seen people where like sometimes the the thinking about the decision part like leads them into more indecision. And if that's where you are, like start with just doing like breath work. Just take a couple of deep breaths and, and see which decision feels the best to you and try to look at the situation as rationally as possible. And that sounds like something that might be like, in opposition like talking about rationality and mm-hmm. intuition but those things really do go together.
0: Yeah. And quieting the mind too is huge, giving yourself space to really feel into it and understand it because I think what is it? They say depression is, you know, lamenting on the past, anxiety is worrying about the future, like possible yes. outcomes that you're uncertain about. Um if you give yourself space to even meditate and you still like the intuitive feeling you won't be able to ignore and it'll just be kind of like this understanding that something is not right for you or that you shouldn't be pursuing something. Whereas anxiety is more of, at least in my experience that worrying about potential worst case scenarios. It's, okay. it's a slightly different feeling, but the more again in tune with yourself that you are, the more stillness you have with yourself, the more you'll be able to differentiate the two.
1: Yes. And I also want to tell you guys, too, like sometimes when you have the right, like intuitive decision that's going to serve you best in your life, you might still feel anxious about that decision.
0: Yeah, that's huge, too, because that's not something that's just going to go away overnight, especially like we've been saying this whole time. If it's been how you've been your entire life, you're not going to be able to just switch it off.
1: Exactly. Like I can give an example here. I was working a job and it was really impacting my mental and my physical health. Like I went into like a whole flare up just because of like this job, it just was too much for me. And I kept getting caught in indecision. And the only reason that I kept the job for so long is because I wasn't trusting my intuition. I kept feeling like this job is not right for me. This job, I feel like it's going to end up being negative, but I would always find a way to like talk myself out of it or try to look at, well, here are the positives. So maybe I could continue to stick it out. And that ended up kind of like backfiring for me in a major way. And when I finally made the decision that I I need to like stop this right now, when I did that, I didn't feel fully confident about the decision, but I just trusted my intuition that like, this is something that I need to let go of. And I felt very anxious about it for like, even up to like a week after I had already left that job. So like sometimes you will still have certain feelings. So like I'm trying to differentiate between your feelings and like your emotions. So like, you may, like, your intuition is more of, like, an experiential thing, like, you're feeling. Whereas, like, if you can identify, like, what emotions you're feeling and naming them, like, I'm feeling anxiety, I'm feeling sad, like, I'm feeling hopeless. When you can name them and write those things down, it's easier inside your mind to to make sense of what would be the most rational decision.
0: Yeah, that's a good distinction to make. And I think also what you touched on earlier with your bad job that you had, justifying, right? And ignoring and suppressing the intuition, justifying, oh, I should just stick it out. And I think so many people in toxic relationships have gone through that cycle of justifying to themselves, oh, well, it's it's not that bad. Or, oh, well, I just need to, you know, stick it out a little bit longer. And again it's it's inauthentic, right? At the end of the day, if you're having to justify to yourself when your gut is telling you no up down sideways, you're you're not living authentically.
1: No, you're not and it's it's going to come back at you in some way. It definitely will. And that's not like to scare anyone. But it's just to, like, let you know, like, okay, this is the decision that you're making and there are consequences to all of your decisions, whether those are going to be positive, negative, or both. Maybe it's a mix. And I'm finding with working with people and even, like, in my own life, just with, like, romantic relationships that were not very healthy, like, sometimes there are moments where you're like, wow, there's a lot of good that's in here. Sometimes there's good in relationships, but they're dysfunctional. And, yeah. that, and that's part of literally when you look at it, what makes it so dysfunctional? It's like there's very high highs, very low lows. Why do we keep going to this point? <laughs> like what what is the middle? What is happening here? How do we work through these things? So that's just another area to look at. Even when you're just dating someone, look at what is the sense of partnership that you two have naturally and then what elements of that are you both able to build on?
0: Yeah. I think that's a really smart approach and a grounded approach too to, to finding someone new. Cause I'll offer something else here. Just a little last, you know, tidbit of, of advice that's helped me. And again, coming from that anxious place, I used to go on a first date with someone and think to myself afterwards, Oh, I hope they like me. I really hope they like me. But now when I go into something or I'm, you know, vetting someone or whatever the case may be, I think to myself, do I like this person? Do I even see rather than putting them in the position of power of of getting validation from them? I'm like, well, let me do a gut check with myself. Do I even feel like I could see myself with this person? And I think that's a, a helpful piece of advice to anyone who's skews t- towards that anxious side of, you know, taking your power back and, and not putting that other person above you, basically, which is at least for me something that I, I found myself in that position of. But I think that's a really smart way to go about dating in terms of, you know, evaluating what kind of partnership it is and and how you compliment each other, right?
1: Mm-hmm. How you compliment each other. What ways do you not compliment each other? Because there's there are probably always going to be some ways where you don't. But like really focus on how you're doing this together. Like how do you both work through your own weaknesses?
0: Yeah, I think that's huge. Well, this has been great, Bianca. I just I want to give you a second if you have any last minute advice that you'd give to anybody who's navigating dating right now.
1: Just have patience with yourself really trust your intuition. And it's always so helpful just for me. And I've seen this with my clients as well, just to continually reflect on what the process of dating is like for you in the moment. Like, is it something that makes you feel really scared the whole way through? Like, with Haley was just saying, like, are you focusing so much on like, how this other person is perceiving you because really I think we get lost in the dating process and we forget that dating is supposed to be fun. Like focus on how you can make this experience more fun for you. How do you make it something that feels good, something that you're excited to show up to?
0: I love that advice because I think a lot of us have gotten to a place where it feels like a chore and it shouldn't have to be that way. It should be fun, you know? Yeah. There
1: are so many like dating, dating struggles that are going on in like modern dating right now. It's really wild. Yeah. But make it fun for yourself.
0: Yeah. Whatever it takes, make it fun for yourself. Um, I think that's fabulous advice. And I want to give you a chance too, If if there's anyone listening that wants to, you know, work with you or listen to what you have to offer, go and plug your your pages, plug your offerings, whatever you've got going on.
1: Yes, if any of you would like to speak with me directly, you could book a free 30-minute coaching session. I offer that for everyone. And on that session, I will work with you on what your specific goals are, whether you are like single right now and you're looking to find a compatible partner or you're already in a committed relationship. And you're just wanting to deepen your connection even more and work through your communication skills so that your relationship is built to last you a lifetime. If you want that free coaching session, you can go to BiancaWard.com contact. All you have to do is answer the questions on that brief form, and then I'll reach out to you and we'll set up a call together.
0: Awesome. That's great. I think that's awesome that you offer that for people who are single and also in relationships too, because I think it's equally valuable whether you're single or if you're with someone. So I think that's amazing. And Bianca, thank you so much for for coming on a second time. This has been awesome.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I always enjoy
0: speaking with you. Yeah, this was great.